0: Well, first, I'd like to thank Aaron for that and for all of you for the warm welcome we've received since um, coming over from Grace Community. If I can speak on behalf of all of those who have come over, we really thank you guys for um, yeah, being welcoming. And as you can imagine, it was a pretty uh, difficult time to, to close our church down. So it's been lovely to come and meet with you guys and worship and feel uh, at home here with you. So thank you for that. Um We might start by opening up to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And we'll read that first and then we'll get into it. So Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses. It says there, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, Made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. So when Aaron um, asked me to preach uh, this week, uh, I was thinking about what I could preach on. And, you know, Aaron's made it pretty difficult. He's preaching through the whole Bible this year, so he hasn't left much for anyone else. Um, And then... I thought, I've got my topic, I'll preach on this. And then Aaron sort of treadled over it with his devotions for the Lord's Supper this morning too. So, you know, we're, we're, we might repeat a little few things that he mentioned there. But if Aaron can preach through the whole Bible in a year, which I think is very impressive, I'm going to give it a go preaching through all of it in a day. Alright, so get comfortable. This could be a long time. No, but I'm going to, pre- I'm going to preach through and try and summarise the Gospel and the Bible in two words today. And it coincides with the mission that you guys have written here, bringing hope to the northeast. The two words are, but God. And we find them there in Ephesians 2, verse 4. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, and then goes on. And I want us to think about Aaron's series he'd been preaching this year. And if you think back on the stories And the topics he's talked about, I think you will see that there's a regular theme that there is this element of but God in every story. But God intervenes. But God intervenes to bring hope, to bring discipline, to bring salvation, to bring restoration. And we've sometimes heard Aaron talk about God coming from the upper story and interacting with the lower story. Every time that happens, this is a but-God moment. And the biggest but-God moment we find, the most important for you and I, is this one in Ephesians. You see, it says there, we were dead in trespasses and sins. So in our natural state, we are sinners, and we are helpless, and we are dead. We can't oversell that dead in our sins. We know that Romans tells us the wages of sin is death and ultimately hell and being separated from God forever. So that's our natural state as people. We are on this road to hell. But God doesn't leave us there. And verse 4 says, So you were like that, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he has made us alive with Christ. We have gone from dead to alive. And the thing that changes it is, but God, God intervenes. This changes us from enemies of God to sons and daughters in his kingdom. This change, the transformation that occurs is not a small thing. This totally changes who we are. Enemies to sons and daughters in his kingdom. We are clothed in his righteousness when before we were dead. It takes us from living with the weight of sin and guilt to living free lives under grace. So there might be some here who have come to church for the first time. Maybe you've only been coming for a few weeks. Maybe there's some kids here who have never fully understood this fundamental truth of the gospel. The one truth you need to understand about the Bible is that you are a sinner. You are born in sin and you continue in sin and you are totally powerless to change that. And that's hard to hear, and that's hard to own as people, but that is who we are. But God doesn't leave us there. We have the intervention of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can and he does change that situation. He can and does give us new life. And he does that by saying, I, the Father, sent my Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to earth, to live a perfect life, to be mocked, to be beaten, and ultimately to be crucified on a cross and have all the penalty for sins poured out on him. My son Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin so that you can go from guilty to innocent, that you can go from dead to alive, that you can go from an enemy to a son or daughter. This is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it can be summed up in those words, but God, but God intervenes. So if you are yet to trust in the saving work of Jesus on the cross don't delay do that today trust in Jesus trust in the work that he did on the cross trust that God has intervened in your life and taken you from an enemy to a son or daughter not because of who you are or because of what you have done but because of who he is and what he has done that's the most important but god in the bible but there are others all right and i'm not going to go through a whole bunch in detail today but i want to just give you a bit of a feel for it let's start with genesis 1 what was in the beginning nothing but god created the heavens and the earth we have noah the earth was wicked And God decided to destroy mankind for their wickedness by sending a worldwide flood. But God instructed Noah to build an ark and he saved Noah and his family. We have the story of Joseph. And if you want to understand this concept of but God, look at the story of Joseph because it's all these but God moments woven together. His brothers wanted to kill him but God rescued him. Potiphar's wife wanted to discredit him, but God intervened. Joseph kept being pushed down, and God kept raising him up. And we see in the story that Joseph at one point says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And we keep going. The nation of Israel was slaves in Egypt. And what happened? but God intervened and he sent in the plagues and they were freed. Israel come to the impenetrable walls of Jericho. they had no hope against those walls but God intervened and we can keep going. Think of David there's a lot of examples in David's life, even the fact that he was a murderer. But God says, you're a man after my own heart. God doesn't leave people where they are. He changes them. Daniel, we heard recently, was fed to the lions. But God closed the mouth of the lions. Jonah was told to go and preach over here. And he said, no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going this way. He goes over here. And what happens? But God creates a storm, he gets swallowed by a fish, he gets spat out and said, now go do what I said. God intervenes in all these ways. And as Aaron continues through his story, it will culminate, not meant to spoil the ending, but it will culminate with the Son of God, Jesus Christ, being murdered on a cross and buried in a tomb a big stone rolled over the face of the tomb and God said outside it, Jesus is dead. Roman soldiers were not known to be sympathetic. He was dead. They knew what they were doing. But God raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, we can read, as we did in Ephesians, that like Jesus, we can be raised from dead to alive. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in and through us. And we need to be clear about why God intervenes. Those of you who might learn the catechism when you were young, the answer to why God does anything is for his own glory. And that's the first thing. He does it for his own glory, for his purposes. The second reason that God intervenes from the upper story to the lower story is because of who he is, because he is gracious. Why have we been saved? Why can many of us sit here today and say that we are converted, that we are God's children? Is it because we are good? Is it because we deserve it? Is it because we do more good things than bad things? Is it because we help little old ladies across the road? None of those things change our state. Why are we saved? We're told here in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, for by grace you have been saved. Grace. We deserve God's anger and punishment, but God is Gracious. So he intervenes, not because of something in us, but because of who he is. Because he is gracious. So this is the summary of this story that Aaron's been talking to us about this year. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. This is the, the hope for the Northeast. This is the hope for you and me. God's grace saves us by his power. So, if this is all true, how should we respond to God's grace? There's a few things that I want to talk about, including why I forgot to press those buttons. Um, But how should we respond to God's grace? The first way we should respond in thankfulness. And again, we've already talked about that a little bit today. We should respond in song. We should respond in joy. So we deserve punishment, but God's given us grace. We deserve hell, but God has given us an inheritance with Jesus Christ. So how should we respond? We should live each day with thankfulness. We should live each day with joy. And that's not to say that there's not a time for sadness. And that bad things aren't going to happen to us of course that is true but of all people christians who have been forgiven their sins who have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe who know their future is assured in heaven christians should be the most joyful and that doesn't mean we walk around with happy plastic smiles on our face pretending everything is okay but it means our joy and our thankfulness is deep and unshakable despite people and circumstances and things that try and rob us of that joy. And Habakkuk 3 is a great example of this. It says there, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labour of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. What do you do? You fall in a heap and cry in the corner? Maybe. But then, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Absolutely, people and circumstances and things can rob us of that joy. But under that, on a deep level, we can rejoice because our sins are forgiven. We can rejoice because we know God and we have a personal relationship with him and our future is assured with that eternal inheritance with Christ Jesus. We have a father who has loved us before the foundation of the world. And he will love us into eternity and the trials and sins of this life are to sanctify us and make us more christ-like god's grace should make us thankful the second thing is we should respond in obedience now many of us when we hear the word obedience start to go oh obedience and we think of it as very restrictive but obedience isn't restrictive obedience ultimately is freedom god designed us he created us he formed us he knows us knows us and then he told us how to live if we live the way that we are designed we will have peace and blessing if we choose to go our own way and decide that we know better than god we'll find trouble a lawnmower is designed to cut lawn to cut grass and some of you from time to time may have accidentally decided you wanted freedom from using your lawnmower in such a boring manner and decided by accident that you might try and cut some rocks or some wire or rope or dog leads or a sprinkler? <laughs> How has this gone for you? How has this gone for your lawnmower? Did that produce the freedom that you were after? Did the mower enjoy that freedom? Or the bored of cutting grass and really wanted to cut sprinkler heads? It doesn't work, does it? If we use our mower in a way it's not designed, it will bring pain and sorrow and mechanics God's grace should make us realise that freedom and joy come from obedience to him. That Ephesians passage in verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared us and designed us to walk a certain way walking contrary to that will not end well. So don't believe the lie that our obedience is restrictive. Obedience will bring peace and joy and freedom. Thirdly, how do we respond to God's grace? We respond in kind. And by that I mean, if God has shown us this amazing grace and mercy we should be ready to show that same grace and mercy to the people around us and we can all sit here today and go absolutely and yet tomorrow when someone cuts us off in the car or the person at work abuses us the first thought in your head is unlikely to be Yes, yes, I should be willing to show grace and mercy. See, most of us get caught up with the idea of fairness. And God's idea of grace is not fair. There's nothing fair about it. I deserve punishment because of my sin. That's fair. But God chooses to forgive me and give me a heavenly inheritance and sit around the table with Jesus Christ. That's not fair. So I'm incredibly thankful that God is not about fairness, but instead all about grace. So just think about you. How do you live your life? Do you display God's grace to the people around you? Or do you get caught up with this idea of fairness? Are we more inclined to be like the Hindus with karma? You get what you deserve. Are you prepared to love people when they don't love you back? Are you prepared to be patient when other people are impatient? Are you prepared to show kindness when they are unkind? And often we say, I'd be so much kinder to that person who I really struggle with. If only they were kind to me, I'd be able to do it. If that person was patient with me, I could be patient with them. That's not grace. It takes great strength and character and integrity to show grace to someone, to show unmerited favour, to understand that someone might deserve one thing, but instead you choose to give them another. We should respond to God's grace by shifting our own thinking so that we don't think about a mathematical equation of fairness, but instead think about how God has forgiven us the hugest debt imaginable, so surely we can show grace to a fellow sinner in our lives. And we should also respond in faith. Ultimately, we should respond in faith in Jesus Christ, to his saving work on the cross. Faith that when Jesus hung and died on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin and for your sin. But we should also have faith in God's Word, the Bible. That God's Word is true and infallible. That it's God-breathed. That it's our rule and instruction manual for faith and life. That it doesn't just tell us what we need for salvation, but that it tells us what we need for each day and for the things that we face in our life. We need to have faith that God's grace is sufficient for us? We are all in different places, with different trials, with different sins, with different situations facing us. Do we have faith that God's grace is sufficient for each one of those? Young people struggling with friendships, struggling with peer pressure, struggling with how to live like a Christian in an immoral world, Do you have faith that God's grace will get you through today? Young families dealing with sleepless nights and disobedient children and financial worries, do you have faith that God's grace is sufficient for you? People dealing with relationship issues or marriage breakdowns or stepchildren, do you have faith that God's grace is sufficient for you? people dealing with old age and declining health and fears about death. Do you have faith that God's grace is sufficient for you? See, God's grace is for all of life. And it doesn't matter how messy your life is today. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. It doesn't matter the trials or the sins. God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for every one of our battles. And God's love and grace will be sufficient for today. It will be sufficient for tomorrow. Now that doesn't mean it will be easy. It just means God's grace is sufficient. When you don't know how to handle tomorrow, remember God is already standing in every one of your tomorrows waiting for you, ready to supply the grace we need. I'm just going to finish today by taking you a little bit further down in Ephesians. Because all of this, in some ways, sounds too good, too impossible. You might say, you don't understand what my life is like. You don't understand how messy it is. You don't understand the things that I'm battling. You don't understand the difficulties I have. If we look at Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, it says there, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church of Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I love this verse because it highlights God's ability to do the things that we think are impossible. The things that we think are too hard. The things where we don't have an answer, where we think, my child will never change. My spouse will never change. I'll never be able to deal with my sin. This verse says, in fact, I'll tell you what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say God can do what we ask. Because that would be amazing if you could. But it doesn't say that. And it doesn't say God can do all that we ask. It doesn't even say God can do all that we ask or even think because that would be incredible. It doesn't say God can do abundantly above all that we ask or think. It says God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Can you feel the layers on there? It's not just God can do what you want. You can do what you want, what you think, exceedingly, abundantly, above all of that. God's answers you can't even fathom. They are so far above what we could ask or think of. So when you think, this situation can't change. I can't see a way through. Remember, God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think whatever trial, whatever heartache, whatever sin, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And how does he do it? It says it here, according to the power that works in us. The power that spoke the world into existence, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that... Caused the waters to stand up in the Jordan, the power that caused the walls of Jericho to fall down, that same power is working in us and through us. That power, that grace, that love is working in you today. Not because of who you are, but because of who God is. So when you feel uncertain, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel scared, when you feel anxious, remember these words. In whatever circumstances that you are in, but God. God can and will intervene in your circumstances, sometimes miraculously, and sometimes working through you, through the power that is in you as a converted person, to obey, to be thankful, to show grace and mercy. And God can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. Amen. Let's leave it there. Let's close in prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we are blown away by your grace and your mercy. We can't believe that we were dead and you made us alive. We can't believe that you show such grace and mercy that we were enemies and you have not just forgiven us, but you have lifted us up. You have brought us into your household and you have called us sons and daughters and heirs together with Christ Jesus. And we thank you that in our day-to-day lives you continue to work in us and through us that you show us grace and mercy that you do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think and we pray that we might be thankful that we might respond with thankfulness and joy that we might respond in obedience and faith Lord God be with us now be with all those who are struggling with different trials different sins give them comfort and show them the power that is in you and that you work out through them. I pray that all of us may work using that power in our own lives, that we may continue to obey you, that we might know you more, that we might love you more, that we might sanctify our own heart and our own lives, that we might become more Christ-like through the trials and the struggles that you give us. And we thank you that no matter what the trials and struggles are now, that we have a heavenly inheritance, that our future is assured, and that you are our God and our King forever. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.